Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the week of May 23rd, 2018. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Hi. Ben. What's up? And Aaron, which reminds me, I forgot to get the seagull noise from you so I could put it in whenever I introduce you. Oh, the Jonathan Livingston Seagullington? So I'll need to remember to do that at some point. Uh, I've got the canned crickets somewhere. We need the canned crickets, too. Uh, Anyway. uh, Tumbleweed. That's a good one, too. Exactly. Tumbleweeds with a sad harmonica background. Um, (laughs) As as always, you can find show notes at www.projectharhi.net or at www.audioentropy.com. And we will begin our review segment with Hisone Tomasotan, episodes 5 and 6. Which actually worked out pretty good because we would have had a cliffhanger had we just done 5. So, uh, a training yeah. camp. Training camp. Yeah, kind of a uh, team building exercise. <laughs> yeah. Take the I imagine that went very well. Oh, well... It went marvelously. <laughs> Uh, they, they take the girls out in the middle of nowhere and they have to ship their dragons out there because on this island the dragons can't fly. And then they're told to go home. Be, they have to be home in a week or they're all going to be demoted. And their dragons so taken because away from home. their dragons can't fly because of like secrecy or... No. Well, uh, we'll get there in a second. <laughs> Just the, magic? The, well, no. This is, this, is, this is how it's all presented to us. And then... They go off and leave them, and then it gets interesting. After you, Benjamin. Right. You know, so like they gotta, so so they have to for like so they have to forage for food and water because they weren't provided with enough food, and in fact, uh, the food they were provided with, uh, one of the dragons just ate it on the first day. <laughs> yep. And, but they managed to uh, they managed to make do. The the big the big issue was the uh, like the was that the weak link the weak link in the team was the girl who uh, the F two pilot air yeah the F two pilot yes uh, the one who is super angry at all well there I guess there's two people who are super angry well, at all times <clears throat> but the new girl who's super angry at all right times. With, with with the blue fighter <laughs> that won't change into a dragon yeah. Right, yeah, the one that was just introduced and, to produce conflict. Yeah, and so and so the whole. Yeah, the one that was just introduced to produce conflict. <laughs> yes. Yeah, pretty much. You got yeah. it. Yeah, and so the whole and so in these two episodes, uh, it basically involves you know sort of breaking down her wall, her like walls, and getting her to you know acknowledge that. Her dragon's not just a not just a fire plane, but a dragon. Yeah. Yes, and she's one of these. Her her quick backstory is she worked really really hard to get into the air force because they don't allow lady pilots. But she worked hard enough, and instead of getting a real life F two, she got a dragon. Yeah. And it didn't sit well with her until. 
There was a big storm. She ended up getting trapped under a whole bunch of driftwood and her dragon about blew itself up trying to alert everybody that she was pinned. And then all of a sudden she woke up and became a real human being sort of again. Yeah. Anyway, and it was it, this was a solid bunch of episodes. They, she named her drag, dragon Norma. Does this give you any idea? Uh, yeah. I don't get the reference. No. Well, actually, she explains <laughs> she explains the reference in the show, uh, where it's it's actually a it's actually a multi layered pun. It's actually a multi layered pun. Uh, because like sort of like F two becomes futsu, which is the Japanese word for normal. And thus translated to English, you get Norma. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Well, I, 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 I set you up for the explanation, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. With, and, and, yeah, and the, and the, the, the funny bit was when, when, like, the, the rest of the girls hear about, like, her explanation of, of the name, they're like, that's just like, <laughs> that's like an old dad joke. They were they were yeah. not impressed, but they but they but they went along with it, and they're glad that she's you know becoming part of the team. So they go back home, and uh, then we're going to carry on from there. Yeah, there was one fun there was one fun bit where uh, where the yogurt lady gives uh, nine like the uh, the uh, the angry backup pilot. Uh, or now, 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 now. Yeah, so it gives now, uh, uh, I, I, gives a now kiwi. A, a kiwi flavored uh, yogurt, and the uh, and and like uh, let's see, one of the uh, like uh, higher ups who's like actually who's like interested in like various regional like like trying new foods and all everything like that offers to trade. Uh, Offers to trade one of his things for that ki- for her kiwi flavored yogurt. And she's like, no. <laughs> Stabs a straw in it and starts sucking like mad. <laughs> it was, but uh, that, I think that guy is related to the guy that uh, did the uniforms. I mean, they 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 get the same intelligence rating. Anyway, I give these fours. They were fun. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed them four. All right, uh, so let's talk about Sword Art Online, Episode 6, because 5.5 was just a recap episode. I didn't even watch that. And neither did I. Uh, I, I think it was Larry who warned me in time. Um, mm-hmm. You're welcome. Episode... I mean, I like the idea of them doing another, uh, like, a Battle of Bullets or whatever um, they call it. It's the, well, this is going to be Squad Jam 2. Squad Jam, right. I like the idea of them doing another Squad Jam, but this time, like, with different partners, and she's actually, and Karen is actually facing, again, facing against Pito Huey this time. But, like, I, the actual, like, the drama they try to insert into this Squad Jam is maybe, you know what, I'm just going to say, it, it's, it is the, uh, dumbest plot like contrivance that 
Sword Art Online has come up with so far. Huh, that's... I wouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure I'd agree with that. Well, I'm not sure about Dumb, but the one thing... Okay, which one would you say is more ridiculous? If Kirito would have showed up with a sword? Uh... No, no, I think the whole thing with Yui, uh, that was that was way dumber than this. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right, hold on. Who's I don't remember names anymore. Uh, so you're gonna have Yui, to like, give me the actual oh, computer Yui fairy the AI. Little, she was the little fairy that always was on Kirito's shoulder, called him called him daddy and all that. Oh, oh, do you mean like how? Do you mean like at the end of Sword Art Online where they suddenly heal from the paralysis for no reason? Uh, so there's that one too, or just or just like the general existence of the fairy lady. Oh uh, no, no, yeah. Let's see the because I'd see. agree with the former, but the latter is just like that's just sort of sort of online. Like, of course, there's a fairy that's basically an AI child. <laughs> well, let's see. Well, let's see. There was the part where uh, Kirito saved Yui with his uh, with his super hacking skills. Oh he yeah, that he just yeah. pulled out of nowhere. Yeah, he created like an AI shell for her so that he could save her outside in the real world, and then gave her like a weird body thing. Oh, I totally forgot that that even happened. Yes, that was way dumber than this episode. <laughs> okay, I'll okay. I'll agree with that, but okay. still, it's pretty dumb. <laughs> well, you know, out of all of everything that happened on this episode, the only thing that still confuses me is M never did tell Karen how the hell he figured out where she lived and who she that... was. Well, it wasn't even where she lived. It was where her parents lived, wasn't it? No, it, it, was, or, his, or... Her, it was her apartment that he cornered her outside of. Okay, she, she was returning, I see. Right. Well, I think it's... I don't know. It felt like you know... Yeah, a... I don't think... Th- this one was as bad simply for the fact that even the characters in the show were just like this is dumb as shit i mean i i actually I mean, on the one hand i do appreciate that karen was like this makes no sense but i don't think just but just lampshading it i don't think makes it better no. it just means that the writer is aware that what he's doing is real dumb but he doesn't have a better idea for inserting drama into the storyline and the the lack of use of the girls' acrobatic team could have been a lot better, too. And also just part of the issue is that, like, I... Like, the, the whole, like, oh, if you die in the game, you die in real life thing has played out its course, I think, with Sword Art Online. Uh, and this is easily the most they have had to stretch to have that particular plot device in the story. Well, no, I think it works. I mean, it, it's it's because the whole point is that is that Puto refuses to accept that it is played out. And so she is like trying with all her might to bring it back in some form because hey. She's because uh, she was pissed that she that she didn't get to be trapped in Sword Art Online. Well, no the the way this would end, like for any, the way this would end in any like reality that existed would be 
Karen listens to what this guy says, who is apparently equally as insane as the girl he loves, and then she would call the police. <laughs> That's how this would end. <laughs> I do not believe that Karen. I mean, call would the police go... for what? Yeah, I mean, even though Pito's got a death wish until she does something substantial, what are you going to accuse her of? Well, n- saying, no, that you... she, saying that she's three sh- sheets to the wind or. Two cards you, short of a full deck? You can call to report suicidal tendencies. You can. Yeah, that is a thing go, you can do. And right. then they go talk with you. And then, so as long as they think that you're fine, they leave you alone. Yeah, yeah. and then well, you go I, and do I just don't see how playing in a virtual match would somehow like be better like even if she promised to meet in real life like okay she meets in real life and then maybe just kills herself in front of you like how does that how is that a guarantee that somehow she will not kill herself if she's beaten by a specific person all of this is just completely absurd and what well, makes do you realize no we're sense. trying to rationalize a very bad script <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not trying to rationalize it. I'm no, well, literally well, saying yeah. it's a very bad script. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's the thing is, you know, we're sitting here and it's, it, you know, we're trying to go. Well, now, if it, da, da, da. no, it, it's dumb and horrible. Yeah. And, and I, and that's I it. didn't think it was that bad. And I really liked the way Karen was reacting to all this. I, I think, yeah, just like. Karen, as like a normal person getting sucked into this madness, the way she reacted I, I, to it, I thought really sold it for me. See, if my problem is that she behaved like a mostly rational human being up until the point where she was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go along with it, which is like, what? No, like she just completely yeah. abandons her skepticism at the very last moment just so we can have this convoluted plot line actually occur well the problem is is that she doesn't know who pito really is she knows who like the guy is she could uh, but wait until she finds out yeah yeah. she knows who the guy is but the guy hasn't told her. i mean if 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 i were karen at this point and like karen has so far been behaving like a pretty normal and rational human being i wouldn't want to meet pito hui well, at, no, at this point that, but just so she doesn't know who i am and can just murder me whenever she gets yeah, the yeah kick. but the problem is <laughs> yeah but the problem is is that she has like she like yeah she doesn't know who she is so even if she talks even if she talks to the cops or you know any mental health professionals like they can't get to they can't get to the real Pito. Yeah, this person I met online, but I don't know who. Well, they I are. mean, they can they can probably ask the game for their for Pito Hui's IP address. Maybe. Like they Everybody they would keep those records on their servers. There are ways. Like the ultimately the point is, I do not believe that at this point Karen would even want to get involved because everything about Pito Hui like sets off alarm bells for everyone who even like touches pito hui like not just bad for pito Pito hui herself but like if karen gets further involved you know what's to say that pito wouldn't start targeting 
like uh, Karen and her weird death fantasies too. Like nothing about Karen's current characterization makes me think she would be at all interested in getting involved in this weird death obsession. Yeah, how much you want to bet that Tito is the real Tito is actually the idol? I mean, th- that's probably the case. <laughs> like, because that, that seems like the super obvious twist of like, oh, you didn't see this coming. That would end up happening in this sort of script, uh, especially since like they mentioned the idol multiple times, and there's no way they're not gonna it's Chekhov's idol they're not gonna have that lead to nothing I can't wait until we see her friend's character next episode and your reaction to it yeah that is that is the one thing that actually makes me want to watch the next episode is Karen's friend is wonderful I love her uh, and I really want to see how she acts within Gun Gale online but I like I don't think you're gonna like it Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Why'd you have to say that? Uh, Whatever. Just, I, just so you can look forward to it. I thought this episode was fine. I'm going to give it a three. Uh, I'm going to give it a two. Yeah, also, I have your. Uh, a, we lost Larry. Yeah, and... I, I know. And B, I have your album art because I just agree with this. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it's unfortunate. No. It's unfortunate that her head is like to the right of the frame, which makes it very difficult to crop into a neat square while still keeping the caption. Uh, I can go through and modify the uh, the subs and push Maybe. it over. Anyway, also the uh, the not wallies gymnasts yeah they're not lollies because they're just like children <laughs> yeah yeah no they're high schoolers somehow um but well, that's uh, what high schoolers look like in japan Aaron. apparently um <laughs> but I, but i like their we gotta do a, a team building exercise all right how do we do it why don't we try this killing game yeah <laughs> i i think i think my favorite I think my favorite thing about this episode was just the the screen grabs you could take from it out of context to make it seem very strange, uh, which includes that one, but also near the end of when the high schoolers are talking to Karen, and they say, like, we look forward to you killing us again. Yeah. <laughs> or something really like that. Like... I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something along those lines. I was just like, man, that makes for a great out-of-context screen capture. I also really like the uh, the text that they send her that's just full of explanation marks, explosions, guns. <laughs> like, there's, just, there's just all sorts of, uh, of crap in it. Yeah. Uh, hold on, let me find it. Uh, honestly, my, honestly, I wish that Pito Hui wasn't dominating the current plot line so much because... Like, all Karen's other friends are way more entertaining. <laughs> there we go. It's just oh, yeah. emotes. Those millennials, Aaron. I know. And then at the very end, she's like, oh, you should invite us over again because your candies were great. 
<laughs> uh, anyway, I'm not sure what happened to Larry. He went bye-byes. I'm going to try sending him a text message. Oh. Okay, yeah, he just said... Uh, Charter crashed. Good times. Okay, so. Oh, there you are. I just asked you if you were about to get, were able to get your internet back up. They did a hard reset on everything. Nice. Okay, audio was still running, so I don't know where we were, but figure it out from okay. there. We just uh, finished giving scores for uh, for our online, so... Four. Ooh, sorry. Four, okay. Four. And it was ridiculously four. All right, uh, moving now on. to good shows. Yeah, Steins Gate Zero, episodes five and six, which did have the plot progression I, I craved. Metalupa. Yeah, good old Metalupa. I like how after like hiring a essentially assassin to try and find uh, the Christina lookalike, Ruko just brings her over. <laughs> and it's Mayuri's fine. adopted daughter. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I also like how... Uh, it also still bugs me how often Kira... Uh, like, Ocarine has the worst poker face in existence. There is... <laughs> like, every time something even moderately strange happens, he freaks the hell out. <laughs> And acts extremely suspicious, yet somehow no one catches on. It reminds me of, uh, from Catherine, Vincent. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it, he is very much like Vincent in terms of how he is able to handle strange things happening in his life, in, in the fact that he is not able to handle it at all. <laughs> he has zero chill ever. Uh, and I am constantly surprised that apparently the only one who ever notices is Suzaha. Yeah. Because she's well, a trained ninja soldier. Well, her daughter. Or niece. I don't know. Are we talking about Okabe or Daru? She's uh, Daru's daughter. Yeah, so Okabe's the uncle. Yeah, kind of. We, we also get more fun Okarine attempting to speak English. <laughs> Yes, and the professor. Yeah, the professor just messing with him and being like, nah, it's fine, I can speak Japanese. I also like him coming to the shrine uh, thing afterwards. He's like, yes, come out shrine maiden. (laughs) It's like they they actually already changed. No shrine maiden, I'm going. (laughs) And he just leaves. We go home now. Yeah, all all three of the new professors, like the, both the uh, two Americans and um, the short girl, uh, are really good characters uh, and a lot of fun. Uh, even though the um, American dude is almost certainly going to end up being evil due to the foreshadowing we've seen. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so, yeah. you know, we're, we're done with the Shrine Maidens, and they're heading back to the lab for the after party, and... Yeah, Ruka, Ruka just shows up with uh, an amazing outfit, and also the girl they've been looking for this whole time. <laughs> amazing, wasn't it? Turns out they were just acquaintances. Turns out they're acquaintances, just coincidentally. Oh, no. She was brought to the uh, the uh, shrine. Oh right, yeah, right, right. And and that, and the thing was was that uh, the previous episode, like Ruka had been trying to get Okarine, mm-hmm. had been trying to get Okarine to pay attention to her thing. Uh, oh right, yeah, she had tried to call him, but I can't remember why he didn't pick up. Uh, Amadeus. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he he was in the middle of something with uh, with yeah with Amadeus, and had his own issues. That's what we're calling and those. Yes. Yes, we are. Oh, yeah, and end. then Mayuri shows up, and then they compare the adorable Upas, and then the, like, future girl passes out. Well, and the other thing is, um, where the, where Hajim, Haj, Hajimo, the short one with the green hair? Uh, Mako. Uh, okay, turns Amadeus on, and everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, she looks familiar, Nobody realizes that she looks like the person sitting in the room, but they're like, oh, you're an AI. Wow, you look familiar. Why have we seen you somewhere before? And then Ocarine starts phasing, and then they kick in the door. Yeah, so there was actually quite a bit that happened in these two episodes. Well, um, although, well most, but... most of episode six was like, it was like relatively chill, but you get the sense that they were just like, you know, waiting for, waiting to lower the boom. So it worked. Yeah, the other shooter drop, it dropped real hard, too. Well, I mean, uh, episode 5 did enough that I wasn't too, uh, that I wasn't really annoyed by episode no. 6, kind of like, yeah, I wasn't uh, annoyed by episode off. 6 at all. I thought it was fine. Yeah, it, it, the pacing in episodes 5 and 6 were totally fine. Um, <clears throat> I, I much prefer this sort of, uh, pacing, um, than what we have been dealing with with some of the previous episodes. Uh, especially since uh, a majority of, ep- of the episodes were not spent with Ocarine being extremely nervous about everything. <laughs> yeah, this um, this time, I don't know, he was if he was wired any tighter, he would have been about six octaves above high C. But yeah, so I am looking forward to episode 7 to see why the heck a bunch of uh, armed people are again assaulting them. Be fine. Because they don't seem to be interested in Mayuri this time, because they didn't immediately kill her. Mm. They never did find out why they wanted to kill Mayuri, did they? No, we didn't. Um, Yeah, even, even during the original Steinsgate, like we never understood why CERN was going after Mayuri specifically. Um, maybe maybe in that timeline she was responsible for raising up this mysterious Kurisu Wait. lookalike and maybe she becomes like a friggin' John Connor or something. I don't Is know. It, wasn't that what it was? That she was uh, one of the leaders of the Resistance? Yeah, maybe. I think that's what it was. 
That's yeah, I can't remember one. anymore. It's there was a lot of anime. There was a lot of plot in Steins Gate. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's tough to remember all of it, uh, especially like when I have. Especially when I have most of my brain reserved for remembering all the plot details in the Kingdom Hearts universe. And work. <laughs> and let me tell you, Kingdom Hearts also takes up a lot of space. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. It doesn't I... seem like they're immediately concerned about murdering Mayuri, so it's probably about uh, the weird Kurisu lookalike instead. Don't know. Find yeah, out because we already know that people were there. Or yeah, especially people were looking for. Her. Especially since like we don't like we know that Mayuri adopts her in the future, but we don't actually know where she comes from. All, all we know is that she was at some sort of institute. Yeah. So it, there could be multiple levels of time travel going on with her for all for well, all we know. Yeah, and she's got voices in her head. That's yeah. a, that's that's going to be a fun thing. Yeah, voices in her head represented by a chin that looks suspiciously like the chin of the American professor. <laughs> be fine. Uh, yeah, either that I'll... or they clone Krisu, and we're going to find that out too. I don't think so. She the, she looks close to Krisu, but not exactly the same. Yeah, but like that, it clearly means something that she looks like her. Mm, we'll see. Yeah. Um. And it can't be like Karisu's child because she only exists in a timeline where Karisu is dead already. Yeah. Probably maybe a niece. Maybe. Uh, or or that... Karine got around better than anybody imagined. Uh, no. I don't know. But yeah, um, anyway, I'll, I'll give both of these episodes fives. I enjoyed them quite a bit. Yep, I'm mm-hmm. with the five department. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give them fives. There was one thing, um, oh, with uh, her memory loss or amnesia or whatever, how much you want to bet that they're going to uh, use her as a data source for their AI program, since it's based off of memories, and then use that to go through her memories. Oh, so basically, like, transfer (laughs) her mind in, like, into an Amadeus, sort of, like, copy her mind into an Amadeus program to explore it that way? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that happening. Because it seemed weird if, like, the only purpose of Amadeus was to have, like, a pocket Kurisu. (laughs) Which, admittedly, is a pretty good reason for it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a good use, but also it doesn't seem especially plot relevant at at this point. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh... Let's move on to Full Metal Panic, Invisible Victory, Episode 5. Uh, gonna, gonna be honest, was not expecting this series to pivot into f- robot fighting tournament arc, but I dig it. <clears throat> yep. Um... Basically, to give a brief rundown, episode five uh, essentially follows um, uh, uh, Sasuke. Wait. Sosuke. 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 I always do that wrong. (laughs) I always say the Naruto character instead of... 
Um, <laughs> this episode follows Sosuke in his new hideout life, um, but begins uh, largely with like this uh, American journalist uh, who looks way too much like the one blonde pilot of Tessa's organization uh, of Mithril, uh, such that I at first thought like, what's he doing in this place all of a sudden and why does he have a camera? Uh, yeah, that guy is Kurtz. Yeah, yeah, but no, this is a totally different character with long blonde hair. Uh, no, he gets accosted by a bunch of people who want to rob him and quote-unquote saved by a precocious young girl um, who then tries to get a $5,000 loan from him so she can repair her fighting robot uh, that she uses to compete in uh, fighting underground fighting tournaments. But then their pilot gets (laughs) murdered by the people who tried to rob Kurt. So now they don't have a pilot. But then it's okay because Sosuke decides to be their pilot and the Kurt and Kurt maxes out his credit card so they can do repairs. And then Sosuke, of course, defeats his opponent easily because Sosuke is a way better pilot than anybody else there. Uh, uh-huh. He didn't get to use the R-Blast? No, because well, the R-Blast is destroyed. Wait, yeah. what? They wrecked, yeah. they wrecked it in the previous episode. How? Yeah. The, uh, thing, the thing is made of, like, plot armor and unobtainium. Well, the new villain has, like, a super R-Blast that he uses to completely decimate Sosuke's R-Blast, basically. Oh, okay. It, it's, it's the Gundam thing, where at first, the main character's Gundam is the most awesome Gundam ever, but then the villain gets an even better Gundam and totally wrecks <laughs> the main character. So they need to then rebuild the original Gundam to be a better Gundam? Yeah, so then the main character gets depressed for a while until he gets an even better Gundam. <laughs> uh... Yeah, that's a, it's the, the, the mid-season upgrade. Yeah, any, but instead any, of like any... going the normal tropey work, instead of going through the normal sort of cliche uh, <clears throat> uh, plot line where the main character gets gets super depressed for a while... Uh, in this, the main character, it, you know, is still kind of depressed, but he's, uh, but he's, you know, struggling through that depression by getting into robot fighting tournaments, which I'm way more okay with. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so essentially Full Metal Panic Invisible Victory is turning this arc into robot jocks. Uh... Which I could not have predicted, but um, I like this episode quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. The Nami, Nami's a pretty cool character. Yeah, I, I I like Nami, but also I I am kind of wary of what Nami's plot purpose is going to be because she very much seems to be set up uh, to be Sosuke's third love interest. Um, which, like, he he doesn't need... We don't need to make this, like, a weird love pyramid. Eh. Um, I, I think that Tessa and, um, 
I, I think the tri- love triangle between like uh, Sosuke, Tessa, and um, uh, Chidori is enough. Well, but I don't know. Maybe, I, may, maybe, they, maybe they won't go that route with Nami. It just, it, I'm just just setting off my spider senses. Well, I read the manga, so I won't spoil it. Okay. Um, I would I would be okay with them doing a swerve and like hooking Nami up with the like a fish out of water photographer. Let's see, his name um, is a Lemon, I think. Okay, Lemon, right? Uh, <laughs> it's weird that they just named him by his hair color. <laughs> uh, it's like if we called Nami Orange. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, there's not really a whole lot to say about this episode, because it was just a lot of exposition and sort of setting up the basics of this new direction, uh, but I enjoyed it. Um, I'll, uh, I'll give it a five, because, you know, there were, there are some parts that did kind of annoy me, uh, especially like the situation where after the thugs get defeated for like a second time, they then like, kidnap and threaten to beat up Nami, uh, mostly just so Sosuke can be a badass in uh, front of Nami. I'll give this episode four. Alright, um, let's talk about My Hero Academy, episodes 44 and 45. Um, which I'm really glad that my prediction came true. <laughs> Yep. Uh, yeah. the, the, the vampire is still interesting what her shtick is completely. What she's uh, yeah, going to do with this blood she collected. Yeah, we're still not entirely clear wh- how her quirk works because, you know, she was able to steal blood from Uchiko, but we don't really, but we didn't get to see the end result of that, the consequences of that because a bunch of other heroes showed up and drove her off. Yeah, and, um, and you won't for a while. I did super enjoy seeing Uchiko put her gunhead CQC combat into action. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, anything that turns Uchiko more into Solid Snake is okay by me. You mean Och- uh, you mean Ochiko? Ochiko, right? Ochiko, not Uchiko. Uh, or Uraraka. Yeah. Um, anything that turns Uraraka into more uh, of like Solid Snake, <laughs> or I guess the boss, <laughs> is fine by me. I also uh, liked uh, Yaoyorozu. Uh, I also like Yaoyorozu's uh, uh, actually coming up with a really smart, really smart idea. Yeah, the, creating the bug to bug the monster with. Yeah. Yeah. She manufactured. She uh, uses her quirk to basically uh, manufacture a tracer uh, we're gonna bug you yeah there there were actually quite a few students that got a chance to like do cool stuff and it wasn't just you know the Todoroki, Bakugo and Deku show um, yeah. especially since Deku uh, basically couldn't do anything well, because yeah. of his injuries well, yeah, not, yeah not, not after he basically broke both of his arms Fighting off the muscle dude. Yeah. Deku is going to end up being like uh, Jackie Chan in that he will at some point break literally every bone in his body. I think he's close <laughs> now. 
<laughs> and of course, now um, we we do realize that somebody has a crush on somebody, like we already knew this two seasons ago. But it's nice now to know it for a fact. Yeah. So Deku not only has the affections of Uraraka, um, but also the like weird vampire girl is yep. also interested in him. Let's see. Her um, name. Her name is Toga. Toga. Okay. Uh, I will like never to- remember that. Like a toga just, party. Just warning you now, I will never remember that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're allowed. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed both these episodes. I liked how they resolved the um, problem with um, Bird Guy going berserk. Uh, I liked the planning segment where Bakugo gets increasingly annoyed that he's that he is being left out of the planning. Um, I liked Bakugo getting captured. Uh, and I, I, I also and I also like the press going like it, it, to me the the My Hero Academy situation is sort of like the situation at Hogwarts in the Harry Potter books except you know played straight where in Hogwarts, like in every book of Harry Potter, children are being put in danger due to scenarios that could have been easily avoided if the faculty just did their goddamn jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in My Hero Academy, we we have a similar situation where the kids are constantly being put in danger with the adults, you know, not really being anywhere to be found. Um, except for like the very few that are actually with them, but who are outnumbered by the villains. Uh, but in this scenario, they actually like get called out for it and have to deal with the PR repercussions of constantly having children nearly die. And you know, All Might saying, instead of helping you guys, I was soaking in the tub. Yeah, but at the same time, I hardly feel like All Might. I think All Might has the least blame in this scenario. Oh no, that because he has on multiple occasions attempted to save them, and like it, it's not like he's coming up with these harebrained ideas for training. No, I I, I will give you that uh, harebrained. I do like the harebrained though. That's that's. Uh, I was trying to think of a word to describe what. Yeah. Now, uh, one thing I did like was I didn't realize somebody had a uh, exceptionally strong tongue. Oh yeah, um, uh, Froppy gets uh, her tongue slashed, um, which it's impressive that that doesn't really seem to phase her at all because your tongue is super sensitive uh, because yeah. of what its purpose is. So, like, getting your tongue cut would be incredibly painful well yeah but she regenerates fast (laughs) yeah but still like it's it's pretty impressive that you know she gets her tongue slashed and is still like doing pretty okay doesn't seem to really phase her at all like if that were me i i would be stunned for a bit just dealing with the pain from that well, uh, that's the, why the tongue, the tongue toss is what I'm more interested in. That, uh, well, that's why Froppy and... is a hero and you are not. It's true. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah that is 100 percent accurate. Uh, like I said, I was more interested in that tongue <laughs> toss. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah. how she just flings Uraraka away. No, when she threw the rest of them at the guy that had... Uh... Yeah, we, yeah. they come up with a plan where they basically Uraraka uses her power to make everybody lighter. Oh, and right. then And then, uh, and then Froppy... And then Froppy, you know, basically throws them... <clears throat> throws them at the bad... Throws them at the bad guy... And like, and Shoji, the guy with the multiple arms, you know, basically, you know, he they use his multiple arms to uh, direct them in flight. Yeah, it's called an airplane. Yeah, I think, yeah, that was a that was a smart plan that would have worked if it wasn't for the warp guy. Now they got Bakugo, well, gee, I wonder if they really realize what they got on their hands. Well, they got his hands restrained, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, their whole plan is that they're, because they know, you know, yeah, that, you mean, they saw that basically that Bakugo is just full of just aggression and anger, and they're thinking, yeah, yeah that's going to be perfect villain material. We're turning to the dark side. Prong. Yeah. Of course, you know. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Uh, you know, the next episode starts with heavy breathing and da 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 da. That's it. I'm I'm changing channels. Yeah, I mean, seeing as episode 45 ended exactly how I wanted it to uh, when I first predicted it at. Uh, you know, for my commentary on episode 43, uh, I am definitely interested to see how they will go with this plotline. Yeah, I am loving this show. I'm giving these five, I'm giving these episodes fives. Yep. I agree. Ditto. Uh, now let's go on to Lupin the Third, part five, episodes six and seven. Oh, well, that was a mixed bag. Yeah, episode six was pretty dumb. Um... I'm going to say, like, the only thing I particularly liked... Like, the whole premise is that these two, like, essentially uh, slapstick gag comedy characters who have a brain power of zero create a... Try to get famous and rich by creating a safe that can only be opened if a brain power scanner scans your brain power as zero. Thus, Lupin, having the highest possible brain power of 300, cannot open the safe. Um, it's... I get what they're going for, but it's just... It's just not very funny most of the time. So... Like, the only parts I particularly enjoyed was Fujiko getting to beat the crap out of Lupin... Uh, because she deserves that chance. <laughs> uh, but other than that, like most of the episodes, just most of the episode just wasn't particularly entertaining. Um, which is kind of a death knell if the entire premise is a comedy. Yeah, they're what it looked like was they were trying to they they were trying to ape the style of the uh, of part of the part three. Uh, which was the uh, the pink jacket era of Lupin? Yeah, it, it it almost felt like an Osumatsu-san episode too. Uh, yeah. If Osu- 
Though Osumatsu-san, from what I've seen, has a slightly better sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they were trying, yeah, they were, so they were trying to, like, ape that retro style, but the problem is, is that, uh, the retro, like, the retro thing they were trying to throw back to was really dumb and didn't need to be brought back. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of the, yeah, I don't think this type of episode is the thing that people, like, are nostalgic about, about Lupin for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's why anyone particularly enjoyed the Lupin series, but uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's yeah. That's, most most of the uh, yeah most commentary about Lupin sort of skips over the Pink Jacket era, <laughs> and there's a reason for that. <laughs> uh, you know, they always they they always talk about you know there was like you know the Red Jacket era and the Green Jacket era, and, yeah, and that, now the Blue Jacket. But yeah. no, nobody talks about the pink jacket because the pink jacket was stupid. Um, on, on the other hand, we have episode seven, which was very good. Yeah, getting this arc off to a fine start. Yeah, I I do like how it the beginning of it kind of swerves you because it starts with you know. Uh, Fujiko seducing someone it's like oh of course you know you know what else is Fujiko used for but then like it's revealed that that's not actually Fujiko it is Lupin dressed up as Fujiko uh, obtaining fingerprints and an ocular scan yeah, so are... I have to admit I was impressed by that subversion those are some pretty hype disguise skills yeah, like, Lupin has some friggin', like, Mission Impossible technology, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also just like the premise of this, where um, it's not only a heist, but like a, a mystery, essentially, of trying to figure out, you know, why this painting is even important. Um, and, and kind of like figuring out the sort of almost last will of a dead guy. Yeah, and like, oh, and then the, and then you find out, oh wait, that guy was dead all along? And who was I talking to? Ooh. Yeah, and then there's like political intrigue because, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a bigger organization wants the painting as well. Uh, it, it's got a lot of um, cool, it's, it's got a lot of cool elements to it, um, I, I genuinely love how the mystery is playing out, and, um, sort of the slow drip of reveals, uh, and also, I, I really like the way that Lupin is, um, sort of outwitting his opponents. Yeah, he... it's, well, he's staying just one step ahead of them. Uh, yeah, it's it's just a uh, very uh, it's just a very well constructed episode um, yes. that kind of contains everything that I enjoy about Lupin. <laughs> uh, just needs more Goemon, and it'll be perfect. Yeah, it does. It does need more samurai. <laughs> it's true, but you can say that about literally every episode of Lupin. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah. So, I, I will. 
I'll give episode six a two and episode seven a five. I totally agree with that. All right, so finally we have Megalobox episodes six and seven, um, which once again Megalobox it continues to be. I think I would argue the best show currently airing, or at least it's the one I am enjoying the most so far. Um, yeah, they've been. Yeah, they they've been keeping up the quality. I'm impressed. Yeah, so episode six is the finale to um, the fight scene from the previous episode, uh, where uh, Joe is able to uh, sort of wear his opponent down, um, sort of outlast him, and uh, uh, goad him into making mistakes, uh, and sort of wins that way. Uh, and it's revealed that, you know... He doesn't actually land a knockout blow. Uh, instead, his opponent concedes at the you know at the prompting of his trainer because it's revealed that like if he continued to go on, he was actually injuring himself more, and he you know maybe wouldn't even be able to walk ever again if he uh, kept boxing. Right, because the because yeah the, because like the because the stress on his prosthetic. The stress on his prosthetic legs was like actually destroying, destroying his body. Yeah, um, I also really like his reconciliation with Joe's trainer at the end, uh, where he sort of pulls out uh, the, uh, like the the rate the gambling ticket that uh, uh, Joe's trainer gave to him. Um, before he shipped out to, uh, shipped out with the army, um, and how that sort of was the thing that kept him from preventing, uh, from, from preventing himself from committing suicide, um, and just sort of like the reconciliation between them and, you know, him, uh, like clearly, uh, resolving to live on and to make the most of the rest of his life was just a really nice ending to this particular episode. Yes. And then the next episode goes into, actually goes in a much, in a very different direction, but still good. Yeah. I, I really like the sort of montage sequence at the beginning of this episode where, mm -hmm. Uh, we see how uh, everybody is uh, is now super into Gearless Joe and how he's been making make, been making a name for himself. And there's a rap song about him now. And uh, biker lesbians are getting uh, a tattoo of his face on their thigh. <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah, it's a really good. That uh, shows you really hit it big. Exactly. Like when biker lesbians like you, you know you're doing something right. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this montage sequence and how it acts as a really elegant time skip. Um, and uh, I also like the uh, setup for this next match, uh, which basically goes into um, sort of the the politics behind the. Uh, actual tournament uh, and how 
you know, even though Gearless Joe, even though Joe is doing really well, um, in the end, the the people who actually make it to the final four are chosen um, by the tournament runners. So Joe has to do something really special to try and actually to even like make it into the final four, because most likely the tournament runner will just like pick her brother uh, as the as the final person. Uh, <laughs> You all accept that, except that, uh, yeah, except what's interesting is that for reasons of her own, she doesn't want to pick her brother. And so she was stalling on, uh, on picking the last one because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, partly because there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of public opinion on the side of Gearless Joe. So if he didn't get picked without having a proper match to determine, like, uh, without having a proper match against one of the, you know, final choices, uh, it would cause, you know, they rightly point out, it would cause a PR shitstorm. Well, Because yeah. everyone loves Gearless Joe now, and to have him be snubbed would not be good for business. Yeah, except, so, well, well, yeah, except that, uh, like her reasons for stalling are even more fundamental than that, which is that if her brother gets picked, then that gives him a leg up in the you know battle for control over the corporation. Oh right, yeah, I I forgot about that part. Uh, you know that that like so so like there's like a lot of wheels within wheels and behind the scenes maneuvering that we're only getting a piece of. And uh, it's really smartly written. I'm... Yeah, and also the fact that, like, uh, the you know, he challenges Joe to a match, but then basically forces him to, you know, forfeit. Because, you know, if uh, Joe tries to uh, fight him and wins, he'll reveal that Joe had a fake ID the whole time. Yep. So yeah, I, it's it's a really good uh, it was a really good episode, a really good uh, twist on the plot that brings up a new conflict and sort of a new antagonist who's actually probably more uh, more gonna probably more of a jerk than the. Uh, <laughs> Well, significantly more of a jerk than the original antagonists were. Well, um, so you can so you can actually like a root for the other antagonists against him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because like, I mean, because Yuri is, you know, he's the kind of guy who's like he's arrogant, but he has the uh, he has the talent to back it up. Yeah, and also like he's and also like he he's not duplicitous. Yeah. Yeah, because he actually yeah, because when Joe challenges him back in episode 2, you know, he gets into the ring and just stomps him. Yeah, so it's it's interesting cuz like you have like the two sets of antagonists, one of whom is just a really good dude who love one of whom is just like a dude who loves to fight 
and is extremely good at it, but is also kind of arrogant. Um, a like a uh, woman who uh, is definitely a, a capitalist, um, but also like is genuinely seems to seems to want Megalobox to succeed um, because she likes the sport um, and is trying to do right by it. Uh, even though you know she ha- even though she's clearly uh, um, doing some political machinations behind the scenes, uh, and then you've got the third one who's just straight up Machiavellian. <laughs> yep. So it, it's a it's a nice variety of um, antagonists for uh, Joe to go up against, um, and I appreciate the the nuance in all three of them. Uh, just overall, this show has had a very good cast of characters, uh, which I appreciate. Um, so I'm definitely going to give both of these episodes fives. Yes, I agree. All right. So now I believe we have some listener questions. One. Okay. Yeah. Right. A, just one. Yeah. Got an interesting. Yeah, an interesting post from Dareth. Assuming Discus will load for me. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh, I'm fine. Never mind. <laughs> that growling, that was the guy behind the curtain. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so Dayriff has um, some thoughts about Garazani. Uh So he says, uh, First of all, I know in a lot of ways Garazani objectively isn't very good. The animation is nothing special. It relies way too much on voiceover narration. The characters are pretty thinly drawn, and women basically don't exist as far as up to episode 6 goes. Nevertheless, it's somehow a show I watched immediately as soon as it's it's available every week, and that I really look forward to. I think it's because it's such a subversion of virtually everything about the sports show genre. Start off with this. The protagonist, Bonda, doesn't really seem to care whether his team wins or loses any given game. He cares a lot about his own performance in any particular time at the pitcher's mound, but that's because baseball is a game of stats, and as a relief pitcher, he has a limited amount of chances to improve his own stats by pitching well. He cares about the team's performance as individuals because these are his co-workers, and in some cases friends, and he likes to see them do well, but he doesn't care very much about but he doesn't care very much for his team, the Spiders, separate from its players. He doesn't, as the saying goes, cheer for the uniform. In so many sports shows, this would make him an awful person and a bad dude who had no true spirit for the sport, but in Gerasini, his attitude seems entirely reasonable. Baseball is a game of stats and average performance, but if you're not a baseball fan, all of that can seem opaque. So Garazani does something brilliant. It has Bonda being obsessed with how much he's paid and how much other players are paid, which as Ben mentioned, he uses as a proxy for how good they are. If a player is paid is paid 10 times what he is, Bonda reasons, the player must be 10 times as valuable to the team as as he is to his. The reason, the reason this is brilliant is that now the show can just quote salaries to us and we as viewers can imitate Bonda and use them to imit- estimate a player's value rather than have him spit a bunch of impenetrable baseball statistics at us. Despite all this, Bonda clearly loves being a baseball player and thinks he's incredibly lucky to be able to play in the majors even as a relief pitcher. The show's storylines are constantly circling around how short careers can be, how you're only as valuable to a team as your last season's performance, and what a gap in talent there can be between players. These are all things that are core to professional sports, but that you almost never see a sports story talking about. 
Grozny builds its drama uh, out of Bond's personal struggles rather than pretend we should care whether some fictional teen wins a game. That's why I like it so much. I think that's a pretty good uh, uh, explanation of why Gurazni appeals to people in, in ways that you know other sports anime don't. Uh, the one thing that particularly stands out to me is what he was talking about with his third paragraph, uh, where he talks about how the show uses salaries as shorthand. Um, because on the one hand, like you know that that definitely can be a useful shorthand, but at, on the other hand, I'm also thinking like there there are also definitely um, salary disparities between players, even even between those who don't necessarily have a particularly large playing disparity. Um, and I think it would be interesting if. Gurazani uses the salaries uh, like as a way to also explore um sort of the uh, uh the inequality in um sports salaries how some people you know will sometimes get paid more than they're actually worth just due to name recognition or through perceived value as opposed to actual value which happens all the time uh, in multiple sports, not just baseball, but football as well. Um, I don't know if Garazny does get into that, but I, I think that would be an interesting avenue and sort of a, a, a neat twist on that um, particular plot device. Uh, yeah, I... Well, I like the episodes that I've seen of it. So far, I'm actually behind it. I'm actually behind, so I'm not caught up on it completely. Uh... But I, I mean, I do intend to, I do intend to catch up on it later. And yeah. mostly, uh, mostly, I just like to see anime critique capitalism more. But that's just because I'm a dirty, that's just because I'm a dirty socialist. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, right, because the standard, uh, cause, yeah, because uh, you know, standard economic doctrine uh, says that your wage reflects your marginal productivity. Yeah, but uh, that's only if all actors in the system are rational, and as we know, human beings are not rational, and human beings are the ones who set salaries. Well, no, it's not even that. It's not even that. What The real issue is not rationality or lack thereof, but market power. Because, you know, uh, because in a... In a in a situation, in a situation where, yeah, in a situation where the employer has uh, excess market power, then they can actually pay people less than they less than they're worth. Oh yeah, if they have enough sway, then yeah, they can they can pay people more to, uh, more or less depending on how. Well, uh, how much sway that player has compared to the the actual coach? Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and well, and and this, of course, like, is the, this is of course the reason why we have players' unions, and we have, uh, and we have like, and we have like, well, we've had like literally over a century of out and out war. Between the players' unions and the owners. Yeah, or, or to put it in a, like a scenario that uh, I'm more familiar with, it's why the Screen Actors Guild exists. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, no, ultimately unions are good. <laughs> is is the point. Unions are good. Right. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's a I think that's a pretty like good summary of what uh is interesting about Garazani. Um, you know, as someone who has seen zero episodes of Garazani, uh that gives me yeah. a pretty like thorough idea of what about it is appealing. Well, yeah, well the thing about that is that uh yeah, is that well Bonda's point of view is that yeah, is that yeah yeah, Bonda doesn't get into you know, his his perspective actually reflects standard economic doctrine. He believes that you know, how much you're paid reflects how much you're worth to the team. Yeah. Which is which is why like it would be interesting if he had that belief challenged at some point. Uh-huh. Yeah, but of course, but, right, yeah, but what's, inter- but what's interesting about Gurazeni, what's interesting about Gurazeni is the fact that economics even enters the picture at all, because in, yeah, most, other, in most other sports shows, it's like, it's not even about the money, it's all about the game. Yeah, or or even in shows that are specifically about economics, like that are showing economics, I'm thinking like, see the money of soul and possibility control. Remember that weird ass thing? Yeah, yeah, um, I liked that show. That was yeah, a- I did too. It was it was super weird and and kind of bad, but I also loved it. Um, but even that show didn't really have a particularly nuanced take on how economies work. Well, yeah, well, that was about, well, that was about with dealing with economics at a different level. Yeah, I uh, guess that was more macroeconomics. Yeah, it was more, yeah, because that was more about, you know, that was more about, you know, that was more about uh, currency flows and financial crisis. Yeah. Um, not about, and, you know, and, and also about, uh, whether, you know, whether economic policymakers should, uh, you know, should focus on the present or the future. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, but that's, that's a bit of a sidetrack. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is more, but like, yeah, but Gurazeni is more micro focused, you know, on, you know, on the, uh, the decisions of individual of individuals in a you know who are like basically trying to just you know make a living in a larger system. Yeah, uh, I probably won't end up watching Garazani, but I'm glad it exists. Uh, you know, just for being just because it offers a like new take on a on a pretty played out genre. Well, of course, most uh, most sports shows don't even focus on professional teams. Like, uh, oh yeah, that's true. Most most shows are you know focus on like you know high school on high school teams, where yeah. you know, where like the only like economic issue they care about is like you know whether the school can stay you know whether the school can stay open or whatever. But yeah, like, and then and the main character is like a young upstart who doesn't know much but they've got talent dang it 
Right. I mean, like... <laughs> Wait a minute, yeah. is there a TV show in this country about Got Talent stuff? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, the only <laughs> other the only other sports show, which 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 is actually about a... Per, which focuses on a professional team, at least one of the only other ones, uh, was uh, Giant Killing, which is about a professional soccer team. Uh, and that doesn't... I even... have heard of that one. Yeah, and w- what's interesting about Giant Killing, because Giant Killing doesn't really focus on the economics of the sport. Uh, it more focuses on, you know, it more focuses on the relationship between the team and the fans. In addition to, of course, the, you know, the action on the field. But, eh. But, yeah. But, yeah. I, yeah, I never actually watched the giant killing, uh, I never watched the anime, but I read the manga. And it's pretty interesting. Not something you see every day. Yeah, definitely. All right, so that'll be it for this episode of BakaCast. Um, and I want to apologize again, for the large discrepancy earlier. It seems my internet service provider decided it is their internet and I can't use it all the time. It's fine. I'll, I'll be editing it out so no one will ever know. <laughs> Sorry, the, Larry. You only rent the internet. Hey, I give them enough money, I should own it. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> like our video games in Steam. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I did, I did want to briefly mention that um, if you use Steam... Uh, maybe consider trying to buy your games anywhere else uh, because Steam has recently bent to pressure from a uh, radical right-wing watchdog group or quote-unquote watchdog group uh, that uh, basically pressured Steam into removing um, a bunch of... um, Content, uh, sexually su- sexually subject uh, suggestive content from Steam, um, largely, uh, uh, largely um, with uh, queer content as well. Um, uh, basically, without warning, and uh, this were these were all games that had previously been approved by Steam and were the content creators. Um, I'm specifically thinking of. Um, the developer of uh, Mutiny. Oh God, let me see if I can remember their name. I think it's Lupiasoft. Yeah. Um, to add a bit more context, they didn't take it down per se. They just gave them two weeks to basically fix their game. Oh right, yeah. With and the, then with the threat that it would be taken down if they did not fix it. Yeah. Um. And then, what, a day or two later, uh, all of the devs got another message basically saying, uh, we made a mistake, that previous measures should be ignored, we're re-reviewing things. Yeah, which is, <laughs> which, see, like, maybe it was a mistake, but I am not willing to give Valve the benefit of the doubt, because <laughs> it did seem very intentional and very targeted. Well, and it also um, seems that those who are applying the pressure are, are more than well organized. Yeah. Well, so also, I, I so it seems like so it seems like they tried they 
like they they bowed to pressure from one source, but then got pushback, but then got pushback on it. Yeah, and, and frankly, like if Valve is that wishy-washy about their stances on what they allow on their platform, I'm not really comfortable supporting them. Um, so if uh, I'm gonna try and put as many links as I can that are you know safe for work. Um, to the to the whole story and the show notes, uh, and if you decide that you're not super comfortable giving uh, uh, Steam, um, uh, you know, as much as your money, uh, if you're not comfortable giving Steam much money anymore either, um, you know, I can definitely recommend uh, good old games, um, also just now known as GOG now, uh, GOG.com. Um, there's the Humble Store. There's each uh, itch.io. Uh, which is sort of the premier place to find indie stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm currently trying to find as many alternative options as I can to Steam uh, to get my games from. Because between this and Steam's other uh, just not so great business practices recently, um, I am loath to financially support them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not much of a gamer, so I, the only thing I've done with Steam is I open up an account and I downloaded Doki Doki Literature Club, because it didn't cost anything. <laughs> yeah, so they're not really making any money from you. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and as for that, I still haven't finished it yet. Yeah, I, I literally just started it, so I, I haven't finished it either. Yeah, same here. I don't think anyway, I yes. it. So anyway. Yeah, so that that's all. I almost forgot about that, but that's all I wanted to say about that. Anyway, if you would like to leave us uh, comments or questions, uh, you can do so by uh, leaving comments at www.projectharhi.net or at audioentropy.com. Uh, you can send us an email at bakacast at projectharhi.net. Uh, or you can send your questions or comments to me on Twitter at StiltsTheGM. Oh, and the other thing, if you post something and it doesn't show up on the site, uh, drop us a line at the BakaCast address. So, I mean, I'm usually checking the website at least every 24 hours, but every once in a while uh, things sneak through without me catching them. Yeah, all Dis Discus for some reason has been... Uh, extremely trigger happy about sending stuff to the spam folder. So a draconian, and they need to retrain their dragon. Uh, also, if you want to bug uh, Ben, you can add him on Twitter at Deathslinky. Yes. Um, speaking of which, Ben, Dustin, three, two, one. Hit a bush. By the way, did. Was I the only person that realized that there wasn't a spring in North America this year? Just asking. See you later. I mean, we live in Arizona, so we don't get spring anyway. I well, know. we don't we don't even understand what winter is. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> that was a general North American directed question and not specifically to Arizona, <laughs> California, or any of the rest of those places that barely sneeze snow and don't know what falling leaves are. Bye. Bye.